Hello, and welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. Today, we will be going through chapters 3 through 6 of The Way of Kings. Paul and Elliot, can you give me two words to describe this passage? Okay, my two words, <laughs> right off the top of my head, are hopeful and cheesy. Hopeful and cheesy. <laughs> Elliot? Yes. Mine's a little darker. I'm going with death denied. Death denied, different. hopeful and cheesy. All right, let's <laughs> let's expound upon these, shall we? To start things off, let us do a spell check. My special team. Elliot, oh boy. how would you pronounce the City of Bells? City of Bells. Why do I always have to go first? I guess Paul has the harder job, really. It, of, because of if Paul the, goes, the if Paul goes, then he ruins the spelling for, or the <laughs> pronunciation for you. Exactly. <laughs> okay. The, the City of Bells... As I as I read it for the first time here in chapter three, I definitely set it in my head as Carbranth. Okay. Um, Paul, how would you say it, or how does the audiobook say it, and how would you spell it? So it is said as Carbranth, and I would spell it as K H A R B R A N T H going with car kind of like colon the kh that's that's where i'm going with uh the kh at the beginning it's a good guess okay intelligent guess so it is it is spelled hold on elliot you want to tell him i don't have it pulled up on for myself i'm i'm flipping to it right now okay i'll read we'll it out of the right we'll just say it's correct which i I think it's exactly what you said. I think you nailed it. K-H-A-R-B-R-A-N-T-H. Carbranth. I, I was, I was it. I even have it written down if you want to you see. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Look at me go. All right. All right. Uh, Give me the next one. Elliot, the second one is the, the name of the heretic princess. Okay. This one I... F- feel like should be easy mm-hmm. but the fact that you picked it makes me now think it's a trick question okay but i'm gonna stick with my my first impression and go with jasna okay straightforward jasna all right uh paul how do they say it in the audiobook yasna like a y sound uh, mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought about that i almost I, I thought about going that way but i was like ah mm-hmm. with went with the obvious in the audiobook there's like two or so times where you can hear the J they sounds like Jasna. So I, I said J A S N A H for how to spell her. That name. is correct. Nice. Bingo. Two, two for two. two. Look at you. Last episode, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, yep, it's Yasna. Um there's also a country or a nation that they've they've mentioned once so far. It's called Yakaved. It's also spelled with a J. Um, so both J's are 
with a with okay. a Y. So it's Yaakoved and Yasna. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I like that better than what I was pronouncing with my head with the the hard mm -hmm. J. I like the the softer yeah. yes sound better. Yep. So I like that. Okay. And the last one, uh, Elliot, is Shalon's Nation Heritage. It is. I can tell you where to find it. Um, she's from. Well, that that would ruin it. <laughs> Just go ahead. He won't mind. I I think I I think I know. Yeah. The word okay. You're, go for it. You're referring to. I, I'm pretty sure. So, the way I, I'm reading that word is Vedin. Okay. I, I almost want to say, I almost want to say more of an A sound, but when I first read it, I went for Vedin. Okay. Paul, how did they say it? In the audiobook, they always say Vedin, as best as ah. I remember. Vedin. So, I, my guess as to spell it was V E Y D A N. Okay. It is V E D E N, which is why Elliot went for Vedin. Okay. Um, but it's pronounced Vaden. Okay. Vaden. Okay. And she's from Vadenar, so. Um, yep. Got it. All right. Um, any opening? Any op? Well, let's expound upon our two words. That's uh, about that. Yep, Paul. Words. Let's let's go for you. Cheesy. What was your second word? Well, what? hopeful. Hopeful was my first one. Yes. So I chose hopeful, one because in the Shalon chapters, it's you know she's at this new place, and I feel like there's just kind of hope in the air. It seems like a bright day, kind of description, and you know, it just just had that hopeful feel. Mm -hmm. I also said it in part because of the Kaladin chapters in that it is very gloomy and dark, but I don't know. I guess I had a lot of hope that he would escape or something good will happen and he'll get out of his, his rough situation. And Cheesy, we'll get into this a lot more later on, but I personally think that a lot of the Shalon chapters are kind of cheesy and a lot of her dialogue is cheesy and I'm not the biggest fan but we'll touch on that in a little bit. okay cheesy why 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 cheesy what I, I'm confused on why you'd say that so in these chapters I feel like everything that Shalon says when talking with the sailors or whoever is always trying to like outsmart them and say something really like not necessarily profound, but oh, everything is, I'm trying to like outwit you at the moment. Sure. And I thought it was really cheesy, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't feel like she was, I mean, she did seem very intelligent, very smart, smart woman, but I thought it, I thought it was a little much, more than a little. So much. do you think, do you think it's poorly written or do you th like the character's poorly written or do you think the character is cheesy and supposed to be cheesy? I think they should. I think they should have pulled back a lot on the amount, unless that's the goal they're going for. And I don't, I don't imagine that is. Okay. I don't think she was intended to be a, a cheesy character. But and hopeful. Why hopeful? Hopeful because, you know, she's coming here and she wants to 
kind of like progress her life and you know hopefully become a ward and so there's like all that new hope of going to a new place and you know having a good life and kind of progressing and stuff also in part for the Kaladin chapters at least hopeful in my mind that that he'll escape or something will come of his dire situation okay um i i understand that you would be hopeful for kaladin in these chapters but kaladin himself is not very hopeful of these chapters he's not very hopeful that is true all right elliot let's go to your two words what were they so i said death denied okay and i i I read a lot all the same stuff as as paul did and i got some of those vibes but i i walked away with a much more negative takeaway from these these chapters i think that kaladin goes to a very dark place by the end of of these set of chapters like it is a we, we thought we were at a low before and, and now we're at a new low mm-hmm. that's that's even lower and to the point where he's about ready to he, he's ready to die almost and but he 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 doesn't he's still he, he's in this place that's almost worse than death uh, which we'll we'll talk about in in a second. But then in the Shalon chapters, there's a, a bit of death involved because of her father. Mm-hmm. And we don't learn much about that. All we know is that he's dead and we don't know why. So I was denied the info of <laughs> learning why he her father is dead. But then also Shalon herself gets denied by Yasna. Yes, Yasna. Right? Yasna. Yep. Yasna denied by yasna so lots of denial and and death or yeah denial of death okay um so it's interesting to me that both of you that one of you has death as one of their words and the other one has hopeful (laughs) as one of their words um i want to hide bit of a spectrum i want to highlight the difference between chapter two which we read last week and chapter three so the opening of chapter two i'm going to read a quote here um this is the the very the, just the very first part of chapter two. Kaladin's stomach growled as he reached towards the bars and accepted the bowl of slop. He pulled the small bowl, more of a cup, between the bars, sniffed it, then grimaced as the caged wagon began to roll again. The sludgy gray slop was made from overcooked talu grain, and this batch was flecked with crusted bits of yesterday's meal. Revolting though it was, he was all... It was all he would get. So, it, his head is his head is down. This entire this entire chapter, he everything describing this chapter is very in Kaladin's head, and he's very self focused. You don't you don't get very much of his surroundings like an, as an explanation. Now. I want to read the opening to chapter three. This is about the third, the third paragraph in. Carbranth was enormous, built up the side of a steep incline. The city was wedge-shaped, as if it were built into a wide crack with the open side toward the ocean. The buildings were blocky with square windows and appeared to have been constructed of some kind of mud or daub, creme perhaps. They were painted bright colors, red and orange, most often but occasionally blues and yellows too. She could hear the bells already, tinkling in the wind, ringing with pure voices. She had to strain her neck to, toward, to look up toward the city's loftiest rim. Carbranth 
was like a mountain towering over her. How many people lived in a place like this? Thousands? Tens of thousands? She shivered again, daunted yet excited, then blinked pointedly, fixing the image of the city in her memory. Shallan's head is up. She is looking around. She is perky. She is excited to be there. Her breath is her breath is taken back. And Kaladin... You might could say helpful. Right. <laughs> and Kaladin is very not in the same not in the same headspace that Shallan is. So it is very interesting that both of you came up with those two words. Paul, why... What's the what's your thought on sh- sh- the Shalon chapters? You said you weren't the biggest fan of them. Why why is that besides cheesy? So I think the Shalon chapters included a lot of unnecessary detail. Detail is very good, especially in books, right? Okay. You know, you you get a bigger picture of the world. You learn about what the people are like, how they act. But a lot of the dialogue with her I felt like it was unnecessary. She kind of tries to outwit the pirates she's traveling with. I thought it was unnecessary. And to be honest, a lot of the chapters were kind of boring. It's fair to say, you know, it's not supposed to be an action-packed chapter. That's totally fine. But if I'm being honest, it it wasn't very entertaining for me to to read at all. I didn't really enjoy it. All right. Um, The the Sh- the Shalon chapters are are definitely a, like background at least for now they're they're kind of like they f- they're filling in a lot of information like they're answering some of the questions that I've had from previous chapters but yeah not a whole lot happens in the in the Shalon chapters yeah so so these Shalon chapters especially early on are your history and culture lesson they introduce a lot of culture uh vocabulary and a lot of a lot of history and uh like nationalities interacting that type of thing so while i understand that you want to get back to kaladin is probably where a lot of your frustration is because they've brandon sanderson's hooked you with kaladin and you want to i don't know skip the shallan chapter and get back to kaladin which i totally understand um you need to you need to start immersing yourself in Roshar, which is what, which is what Shalon's trying to do. She's trying to learn. She's trying to get her wardship and educate herself, and uh, by uh, by correlation, educating the reader. So that's why that's why these are slower, more ob- observant than the Kaladin chapters. True. I do have a lot of faith or hope that these chapters uh, will come into play a lot. Uh, the characters we meet will will have a, a bigger part to come. But, yeah, my, my biggest complaint was, you know, maybe they're slightly too long, and they could have still done the same job. Okay. Let's talk about a little bit of the vocabulary we get from Chapter 3. Uh, we have, everybody calls her Brightness, Shalon. We have the heralds are mentioned. We have Voranism and the Voran religion mentioned. And we have spheres as a currency mentioned. Uh, do any of you have questions on these? Yeah, I was fascinated in chapter three by what we learned about 
the religion. Is Vorin the name of the religion? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought it was. And the, all the references to, yeah, Vorin tradition and, and whatnot, I assumed that that's where it was going going for. And, and we learned, yeah, we've got references to the Heralds. We get lots of references to the Almighty. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of characters, especially in the Kaladin chapters, refer to the Stormfather. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the same entity that they're referring to do we know that great question you don't know that yet and okay so that's why we're asking. it depends on at this point in the chapter it would depend on the culture you talk to so some cultures mm. would spin voranism to say that the almighty is a spren he like he is roshar he isn't really a being he's kind of just nature like father nature uh, he sends the storms. He's the storm father. But then um, if you talk to another uh, culture or subdivision of Oranism, they would be, no, those are two different people. The Almighty created Roshar. The storm father is, a, is like a spren of the wind and sends the storms. And yeah, so it, it depends on who, nobody knows, really. Um, it, it depends on who you talk to. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other bit we get in chapter three that had me confused at first, but then I think I caught on was the whole difference between the free hand and the safe hand, mm-hmm. and how Shalon is is always using her free stand, free hand to do stuff while her safe hand is tucked inside her dress, and she always notices like the women that she encounters whether their safe hand is covered or, or not, or, or things like that. Is that tied into the religion? Is that like a religious? belief that they follow yep. or is that more just like a culture society norm tradition so that would yes that is a, a Voren tradition that you're that the woman's safe hand i believe it's the right hand i'm second guessing myself now though um i don't remember maybe i i actually don't i think it's the right hand but i could be mistaken um that it's always covered and it's just a modesty thing and so if you see the if you see the woman's safe hand then that's that's promiscuous uh taboo right so women always keep their their safe hand covered and do everything with their free hand um although but then some some cultures would be like no that's that's silly we we follow everything with the foreign culture but we're just going to wear a glove or we follow everything and Mm -hmm. but we don't care about safe hands we're just going to use both our hands and deal with it that type of thing uh, so, yeah, that's just a, a superstition that they have, I guess you could say, or a tradition. I, I'm very curious to learn about spheres. Okay. So it talked about these in, infused gemstones. I think it's really cool. I actually really enjoyed that description of the currency and how they all have different gemstones in them. I think it's really cool imagery. So, oh. this isn't. This isn't really a spoiler, but I don't know if they explain it like explicitly in this in this uh, chapter. Every gemstone is used to soul cast, and each gemstone can soul cast a different thing. So if I believe Yasna uses a black gemstone to soul cast a boulder into smoke, and by definition that. Uh, that black gemstone has a certain value 
that's reflected in their currency. So in their currency, they're going to have small, tiny rubies or emeralds or diamonds in these spheres. And their the value is based on what they can soul cast with them. So uh, some gemstones can soul cast food or some gemstones can soul cast uh, stone and that type of thing. And that determines their worth. I see. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I noticed too that there was a difference between infused spheres and non-infused spheres. Like there were dull spheres, which you could still use as currency as money. It sounded like, but the infused ones are worth more. Was that the that the case? Uh, so tech. So on paper, no, they're worth the same because you can still. So you okay. leave your spheres out in the the high storm to infuse them, and they glow with stormlight at if you've left them outside in a high storm. Um, so you can always infuse spheres, gives it authenticity that it actually is an emerald and it's easier to forge if it's done. That's right. That's right. Because they made a reference that only real gemstones can hold stormlight. Correct. So if it was a, a, a counterfeit gem, you wouldn't be able to infuse it. That makes yep. more sense. They're more, yeah, it. they're more suspicious of Dun spheres if you're trying to buy something with Dun spheres because it could be counterfeit. God. So what all did it say about the ten heralds? I could be, to be honest, I don't remember the mentions in the chapters. Maybe I, maybe I went too fast, but I know it references the heralds in general fairly often but i don't remember any specific things i was curious what what y'all noticed so when shalon hears that yasna is still in the city down at the docks she she says a little prayer of thank the heralds and mm -hmm. the, it's it's kind of pushing the um pushing the envelope of that the heralds are almighty deep like deific beings they aren't the almighty but uh they're they're sent by the Almighty to save mankind. And uh, as we know in the prelude, they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah, it seemed like just a bunch of, so far, kind of loose references to the heralds, like just a, you know, heralds be praised or thank the heralds and, and things like that, just getting thrown out at different random times. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, yeah, some, some cultures consider the Storm Father and the Almighty to be the same person. And uh, speaking of the Storm Father and High Storms, I want to read an excerpt from Chapter 4 um, describing the High Storm that hits Kaladin's wagon. It says, Occasionally, light would flash without the thunder. Without the, thunder. the slaves would groan in terror at this thinking about the Stormfather, the Shades of the Lost Radiance, or the Voidbringers, all of which were said to haunt the most violent high storms. They huddled together on the far side of the wagon, sharing warmth. Kaladin left them to it, sitting alone with his back to the bars. Kaladin didn't fear stories of things that walked the storms. In the army, he'd been forced to weather a high storm or two beneath the lip of a protective stone overhang, or over a bit of an impromptu shelter. Nobody liked to be out during a storm, but sometimes you couldn't avoid it. 
The things that walked the storms, perhaps even the Stormfather himself, weren't nearly so deadly as the rocks and branches cast up into the air. In fact, the storm's initial tempest of water and wind, the storm wall, was the most dangerous part. The longer one endured after that, the weaker the storm grew, until the trailing edge was nothing more than a sprinkling rain. So he mentions these the superstitions of the void bringers, the lost radiance, the, the storm father that haunt the storms. So a lot of these supernatural beings and uh like demons and angels, they've kind of all blurred lines over the years. They don't know whether to uh be afraid of the lost radiance or admire the lost radiance or the heralds or the storm father. They don't know if they're on their side or not. Um, it's been four and a half thousand years since the prelude and they haven't heard anything from any of these. So all of this is faded into myth and like old religion and they don't really know what's what anymore. A lot of it came across as superstition, which has me run wondering as a first-time reader, are these superstitions that are hinting at real things, or are they actually superstitions and they aren't real? We have the prelude to kind of lead us on in, in some directions, but I'm, I'm struggling to, to decide what superstitions I think are, are founded in history and fact, and what superstitions are just superstitions. Right. We'll find out, I suppose. Hopefully so. I, I like the description a lot about the storms. And I think it's interesting, I guess, just in this world of Roshar, how, I guess, common they are since the currency is kind of dependent. Like, that's how the gemstones are infused, as far as I understand, and such. So they must be really common. So it sounds like it's a dangerous place to be if they're always, you know, throwing rocks around and stuff. Yeah. The, uh, the scenery that is mentioned in chapter four, uh, you have this on the outline, Elliot, is that it's very it's very raw and under the sea, very washed. Everything feels very underwater all the time. And that's because of these hot, these yeah. high storms. That all of the all of the plant life, all of the wildlife looks like it should be underwater, but it's not. Yeah, I picked up on that. All the like grass that they describe almost sounds like an anemone. The way it you know, retracts into itself and then comes back out after they pass, or the the rock buds that spread vines out and then come back. It just sounds to me like coral formations and things like that. I I keep the more landscape it gets described, the more I just keep thinking ocean and sea and yeah, the high storms play into all that too. It it just feels very underwatery. Yep. And then you've got like the crustaceans. What are they called? The chull? Chulls. That are yep. pulling the... They're like crabs, basically. Yeah, the wagon that are these... Yeah, the massive crab, horse, thing, oxen, mm -hmm. whatever. Yep. And then all the little critters that they reference that are running around, they, they also sound like crustaceans most of the time when they're describing them. So it seems... I don't know. Underwater things kind of creep me out, so it, it was a little, little unnerving, actually. Mm -hmm. I had heard the chulls mentioned several times, and I never... I honestly never imagined them as a crab-like thing. I don't know what I thought of them, honestly, <laughs> but but hearing that makes them a lot more like, scary in my mind. The like a horse, horse-sized crab. The way, yeah, the way I I viewed it in my mind was a cow, but it has a shell, like a so it's like a huge turtle almost. Beautiful. Yep. 
my my copy of the book actually has an illustration of them, so I didn't even have to use my imagination. Nice. Wow. That is the benefit of having the ink and paper version. Very true. All right. Did any of you pick up on the first mention of Noadon in chapter five? Yes, I did. That was that was one of the biggest things I realized. That was probably my highlight of the Shalon chapter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought I thought it was interesting. There were kind of a lot of names thrown out that we don't know, but we'll probably learn more about as things go on. Whatever they're talking about various teachings and I guess notable people, notable names and such. The only one I recognize is Noadon and I don't think if I wasn't doing this I wouldn't have recognized it so <laughs> we'll see but so Noadon is a person in this book some way shape or form so I've learned that It and, and we know for sure that he at least wrote things because they, they reference that Shalon has read I think it was all the works of Noadon. Is that what she she said? She, she read? said she'd read, of course, Noadon. Some of the works, but of, she's she, of course she's read. Right. Okay, or her or it. One of the classics. Noadon's like, yep, classic author. I I I, I shouted out loud when I I read Noadon. I was like, yes, some information. <laughs> I'm following this person. I th it's kind of funny because if this was not our title of the of the the book or of the podcast you wouldn't you wouldn't have that reaction it's I he's noticed. literally just and one of the scholars that she's supposed to have read and she has read that one but she hasn't read the rest of them <laughs> so yeah it's he is he has written something that shallan has read so does that mean she's following noadon with us it's possible oh yeah it's possible i'll take that as a yes <laughs> and yasna has read know it on as well because she asks about him she's, she's read everything apparently yasna yasna definitely was very demanding she she had very high expectations and shallan was definitely caught off guard by that and i felt a little bad for shallan she apparently knows a lot and, and seemed like she was well equipped but yasna did not think so and shallan is definitely an artist and she she presented herself as and she was waiting for Yasna to ask about her 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 yeah. art and her her feminine uh her her feminine pursuits and she didn't and as at the she end of at the end of, yeah at the end of the chapter uh Shalon's like but what about my what about art it's a lot of people consider that the the best the best one and Shalon, and Yasna's like I don't see a use for it by, uh, and that's kind of how it ends. She's very, Yasna's very pragmatic. She's brutally honest. She, she's not going to coddle a, a, a young award ship if she, if she's not going to benefit anything from it. True. I th I th also think it's very interesting. She's called, like we said, the heretic princess. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because we just started learning about Vorin, that there's like a form of religion and such, and how Yasna is very highly esteemed in this community, you know, from Yasna Kola, and she's, I guess, royal in the royal family. Mm -hmm. And she is like openly 
openly just like doesn't believe it i think that's just like interesting i I, it kind of shows that she's non-conforming in a way and that you know i feel like a lot of people in when i think of a royal family or anyone high up they might at least like formally agree in some way but she really doesn't doesn't care you know it's she she thinks what she thinks says what she wants to say and doesn't worry too much about it yeah she yeah we've only just met her but i can tell immediately that she's very independent like you just said she she's going to believe what she believes and and she's not going to care what what anyone else thinks yep she gives no false fronts she's not going to say yeah i believe in voranism to the public and then not actually in private she's just going to say what she believes and if you don't like it then that's your problem so i'm i'm curious to so with yasta she does some soul casting and soul casting isn't something that i fully understand i understand you use these gemstones and the gemstones are related to the currency and such um but i'm kind of confused i don't i'm assuming everyone can't do it and from what i can tell yasna seems particularly good at it but I, I didn't know if you had any form of explanation on that about soul casting or or more about yasna's relationship with it's it. it's deliberately cryptic in the books they it's supposed to be like behind closed doors you don't really talk about it it's it's one of the necessary evils of Oranism. They don't know if it's witchcraft or anything like that, but armies need food, so they're going to turn a blind eye to it and create a bunch of food. Uh, you have to have a Fabriol to use the gemstone, and if you have the right gemstone, you can turn anything into what that gemstone can create. I was, I was wondering after reading Chapter 5 why why smoke like why she had transformed the the boulder that was blocking the doorway into smoke but i i hadn't put together that that was tied to the fact that she was using i i want to say they described it as a smoke stone mm -hmm. or as like a, yep. a a dark yeah sphere gemstone so that that makes a lot more sense now i would i would think that i don't know water or just air would be a little more easy to deal with than coating everything in smoke but tied to the gemstone makes a lot more sense now why she did yep. that yep she had to do it to smoke because she had the smoke stone yeah i don't think that would be very useful except for you know blocking a passage that's caved in <laughs> yeah <laughs> so before we go to before we talk more about the kaladin chapters i have it's not really a bold prediction but I, I have a guess as to how Shallan's character arc is going to go from here on out. Okay. So Shallan seems very, you know, she wants this wardship really badly. She wants to help her family. She's a very hard worker, very diligent and such. And I think in pursuit either of this wardship or assuming she gets it, I guess, in pursuit of knowledge and such, I think there will be some form of a, a dark turn and that she doesn't necessarily realize it, but maybe she'll it kind of mess something up in a way in pursuit of knowledge or trying to help others. And I think she's going to end up being some kind of 
some kind of bad figure, but not actually realizing it. But maybe she'll get redeemed later on. To totally out in the left field, as far as we know. So, but that, that's that's my guess. Are you are you hypothesizing that she'll fail with like like on a scholastic side, and she won't live up to Yasna's expectations, or are you, is she going to be like malignant and backstab Yasna? What? I think in some way she's going to backstab someone. And I don't even know if she'll intentionally mean to, but I think she'll in some way get really enthralled with what she's learning about or something or get really curious about something and may take it too far and end up end up hurting things and maybe she won't realize that it's bad. Totally. Okay. That's going off of just various other fantasy type character arcs total guess okay but but if that does happen i do think she'll be redeemed because she seems very kind-hearted i i can see where you where you would head that way because she does definitely have a hunger for learning and a hunger for knowledge and that is something that can definitely get corrupted for evil purposes without even the person knowing you know they're still just going after that that history or that knowledge or that learning but in the midst of that, they can end up doing things they didn't intend to. And Shalon does already have a little bit of an underhanded motive because we learn at the very end of Chapter 5 that she's actually going for this wardship to steal the soulcaster that Yasna has. Mm -hmm. So she's we know that she that's her, her motive, but of course Yasna doesn't. So she, she's already being a little bit sneaky to start with some hidden motives for sure yeah yeah that's enough to confirm my theory is correct i'm sure <laughs> yep confirmed <laughs> check that as a yes and we'll tell you a point yep yep, yep. <laughs> yeah it's she she has to steal it to to save her family and yeah yasna is not aware of this So on an entirely different note from the pleasant Carbronth, or seemingly present Carbronth, um, Kaladin, in the in the last chapter he talked about Kaladin, is now on to a bridge crew, which we'll learn more about, and it is definitely not the, not the ideal situation. It's, it seems extremely rough, extremely strenuous. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's straight up not having a good time. I want to, <laughs> I want to highlight something at the beginning of this chapter that is decently important going forward, and and that is why he wasn't allowed to be a a a slave soldier, and was what he was trying for. It's because of a shash brand on his forehead, so uh the shash brand on his forehead means dangerous and you really only get that if you've really messed up so because he has that shash brand because he was a deserter he can no longer be able to fight in the military whether he's a slave or not 
So he's trying to cover up that Shash brand and then talk her into letting him in the army and he isn't allowed to. So he is the lowest of the low because he has this Shash brand on. I appreciate that description because it mentioned the Shash brand several times. I knew it was really, I knew it was something you didn't want, but I didn't know actually like what it meant. Yep. He, he's definitely getting the the short end of the stick again. It's almost like he's the last episode we talked about how he went from lucky, the storm blessed Kaladin to unlucky and everything he does goes poorly. Well, it, it's getting even more poor as he goes. This is a this is a low low place to be and a brutal introduction to war where he gets stuck on the bridge crew, which a little bit of sad irony and when he hears he's getting assigned to a bridge crew he thinks oh i'm gonna be chopping down trees and building bridges that's not too bad right and then as you learn through the second half of the chapter oh no this is this is the brutalist tor torture that he could have possibly been assigned yep i think it's funny that they were optimistic about being slaves almost it seems that they were optimistic you know it's not gonna be that bad like this will be fine this is a good Yep. Good place, you know? And then and then I guess the bridge crew nope. is the, the the entire tier below that. Yeah. Uh yeah, him and his him and his slave friends in the wagon were saying, Oh, we're just gonna be working on roads in this hot sun and cleaning out latrines. This won't be as bad as we thought. Uh no, it's it's ten times worse than what they thought. And then on top of that, he gets stuck in a bridge crew with a sergeant, Gaz, who takes a not so not so liking to him and, and is picking on him and throwing him in even the worst possible situation in an already worst possible situation. It, it just keeps heaping on top of misery on misery on misery. Yeah. At the end of Gaz's... at the end of chapter six, it dawns on him that Gaz put him in the front. So because uh -huh. he was supposed to die. And that does not sit well with him at all, as we'll find out in future chapters. So, let me explain first. I like the addition of Gaz. He's a very important character. I don't like him at all, but he's he's one of those characters that's in the book for you to not like. Right. But I think a character like that is extremely important. I, th I think it does a lot for the story, and I really like his addition. But yeah, I, I can't stand Gaz horrible <laughs> cheaty man um, and just and petty like he doesn't even I think Kaladin even talks about this you know, he doesn't even need to be nasty he's just being nasty because he has nothing else to do it's just it's just petty yeah and petty's a good word for a lot of characters in this chapter because he tears up Tavlakov's map in chapter in chapter four <laughs> or yeah in chapter four and then Tavlakov backstabs him trying because he's trying to lie to get in to be a soldier. And then Tavlakov throws him under the bus just because he tore, tore up the map. So, yes, there's a lot of pettiness going on here in, in, yep. the, in the slave trade circles. I'm going to change that as one of my two words. I'll, I'll use petty. <laughs> That's a good one. I should have thought of that, too. 
So I noticed in amongst all of this, not just chapter six, but in previous chapters as well, I've noticed that multiple characters use the term of two terms, storming and blustering kind of in the place of like curses, like where you would, where you would normally maybe expect a curse word to show up. You'd say, Oh, that blustering Sergeant Gaz, like that's, that's how they're using those terms in reference to the high storms and how that's just a, a terrible, you know, thing they have to endure all the time. So I guess it makes total sense that that would feed into how they swear. Yeah. So this is, this is a, a Brandon Sanderson signature. Actually, I'm glad you brought this up because in, in all of the series that I've read, they come up with their own swear words in, in these, uh, in these books. So like in, in Skyward, they use the term scud a lot. They, and I don't, I don't know really what it's supposed to mean, but they just think like yeah. scud is such a, a, a flamboyant curse word. And then in the way of Kings, it's storm father is, is like using it as an expletive and, uh, right. blustering and storming. And yeah, they, I, I do think it's a cool addition from, uh, Brandon Sanderson to put in these custom curse words. They're funny. It's actually, it's a clever world building tool, I think, because it, it's just a subtle reminder as you're reading that you're in a different world, that these are not people who are of our world or, or a world even closely related to ours. It's a completely different one where they have completely different curse words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course they do. But as you're reading it, it just kind of sticks out. At least it stands out to me and reminds me that I'm in a fantasy world. It's it's a cool tool. I like it. It's the same it's the same vein as Brightness Shalon or Bright Brightness yes. Devar. Yep. They they that's a title that they use instead of Miss or Misses, and it's referring to their eye color. So um later they'll use the term Bright Lord for men and brightness for women. So it's just a it's a cool tool. So something else really cool that I liked um, is we talked in the first episode a good bit about Spren, and we get a little more personality here um, and a little more uh, with with the wind Spren. We also we also heard some new kinds of Spren. Yeah, we did specific names, but yeah, just any any kind of Spren you could think of. Um, but we learned a little more about. Uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, <laughs> Sil, for short. Silfrena. Silfrena. Uh, yes, I think that's such a pretty name, actually. I I think but it's a really good name. I am a big fan of the name Silfrena. Yep she she has a name, and she doesn't know why she has a name, because isn't that for yes Spren Spren aren't even supposed to talk, let alone have personalities. So and she can also take forms of things. Was that a thing for all windspren? Did we when we talk about that? Can like windspren kind of take shape? Yes. So winds. Yes. So are. certain types of spren can cha- change shape, although they don't usually do it in front of humans. So like you'll have a knowledge or a creation spren. Let's talk about creation spren for a second. Shalon is Shalon is sketching, and. Uh, she she pulls a creation spren and it comes in the form of a pencil 
and then she has another creation spren and it comes in the form of a stool so there are there are spren that come in different shapes and sizes it's just they're not supposed to change on the fly like that I see creation spren was one that I thought was really funny if I'm being honest just because <laughs> most of them are like emotion like there's anger spren or I don't know and then that and then nature and I thought creature, uh, creation spren was really funny actually kind of unique just different from the others. I was glad that we got a name for Kaladin's windspread because she's turning into quite the the character, mm -hmm. and we we get more, I think, of her naivete with her. Even the fact that she doesn't even understand, she knows her name. Mm -hmm. She knows she has a name, but she doesn't know why she has a name. It's like confusing to her that she has a name, and that just. I think plays into even more of her innocence and just this, I get this feeling that she's discovering the world oh, as if for the first time, right? almost like she's, it's almost as if she's been created recently and is discovering, Oh, I have a name. Like, wow, that's cool. It's, it's a very interesting to watch her kind of develop alongside Kaladin. And I think Kaladin's getting a bit attached to her, even though he was annoyed by her at first. Yeah for sure um another thing i want to run back to is the bridge run and i want to talk about the the casualty rate for a second and how so many people died um in this first bridge run and he was and kaladin was so shocked and first of all he was exhausted when they got there and so he wasn't thinking straight and then he gets on he gets thrown into this bridge run and a bunch of people die around him and he's the casualty rate is insane they lose four out of 20 bridges which is uh what's the math there 20 20 percent uh yeah 20 they, they have 20 percent yeah. casualties any any army that has 20 percent casualties in every battle is not going to last very long yeah. however um roshar is as Brandon Sanderson said in an interview uh, once Roshar is extremely overpopulated. There are people everywhere and you don't really get that vibe in these initial chapters because you're in the middle of nowhere for like the shattered plains is kind of the middle of nowhere, but there's still a hundred thousand people in the in the war camps that he walks up to there's 10 war camps and they're all filled with people roshar is extremely overpopulated which makes sense based on the economy that we've heard so far so there's high storms which creates an abundance of fresh water no matter where you are there is soul casting which creates an abundance of food no matter where you are so long as you have the right gemstone so in theory, you can live wherever you want with as many people as you want, as long as you have the right gemstones. So there is an, there's an extreme surplus of people in Roshar and the amount of slaves that they have access to at the Shattered Plains is enormous. And so they don't care about these lives they're throwing away. It, it's a painful thing to 
to realize as you as you realize that alongside Kaladin that the life of a bridgeman means nothing. Yep. But that that background makes that make a lot more sense. And and part of that too, I remember in I want to say it was chapter four, Kaladin makes some kind of reference to farming the mountainside or something like that, which he, he describes as pure rock. It's just a rock mountainside, but he describes it as a lush farmland. Right. And that's just an interesting thought of we would normally think of a rock hillside as lush farmland, but because of the water and the rock buds and plants that grow on it, it, it apparently is. So that, that fits with what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, something, something for the world building of Roshar is there is no soil. All soil has either been washed away thousands of years ago or blown away thousands of years ago. Everything is hard rock and like extremely like tough. So it's either built up creme and like packed sandstone or just raw granite rock. However, you can plant whatever you want because all of the plants are kind of surface plants. They kind of grow off the rock like lichen and moss and that type of thing and coral. And they get plenty of fresh water because there's high storms every nine or ten days. It is an interesting environment. This whole time with talking about where Kaladin has traveled and the slave wagon and such, I always think of like a lush green forest there. They're traveling through really like foresty. I just envision trees everywhere and such. But yeah, it's probably way more way more flat than that or way less way less lush. There, at least there are trees and they uh cut trees down for their their wood but it's not the trees that you're thinking of they're they're kind of underwater trees if you could imagine that yeah sea trees yeah sea trees yeah i had to rebuild my mental image a little bit too because i was thinking of the same as you paul trees and plants and things and then as, as the more we work, we learn i realized that it is lush and green and there's lots of things growing but it's not the kinds of plants that we're used to seeing. It's this, yeah, underwatery type, you know, seaweed and kelp kind of stuff everywhere. I don't know if you can see on the cover of your book, Elliot, but there's rock buds behind this uh, this guy in the bottom right. I I noticed that. I had, I did actually notice that, and that helps me a lot visualize what those are because I was wondering what rock buds were. But I I figured that was rock buds on the on the cover. Yep. So the last thought I really had in the Kaladin chapters was talking about the bridge run um, and how Kaladin was thrown in, Gaz put him in the front so he would die and such. But I thought one thing I really liked was Kaladin ends up next to a man. remember if it said his name or not. It deliberately doesn't. It is the leathery-faced man. That is what they call him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of envision... An older, more experienced man. You know, he he's at least done a bridge run before, um, and he kind of he kind of consoles a little bit with Kaladin and gives him some advice. Tells him, you know, counting your steps and things like that help it help it to be bearable mm-hmm. and such. Cause it seems absolutely that just physically demanding and like very much like physically harming. Um, but I, I thought that was really good because Kaladin uh, benefited a lot from that and 
I, I like the addition of that kind of he's not really an enigma he's not a mysterious man but just kind of just an act of kindness from from someone almost. it's it's a soft reminder that not everybody is a scumbag in this world that yeah. he he meets somebody who's just as low as Kaladin is and he hasn't quite given up all kindness and hope he's still human he's granted he dies on the bridge run and you know but it's it's a general reminder that not not everyone has given up hope that like like Kaladin is beginning to he he's on the downward downward spiral but other people are still hanging on and and it reminded me back to last episode where we talked about Kaladin taking that little boy soldier Sen kind of under his wing here's an instance of now the the experienced bridgeman not quite the same but is is in a way taking Kaladin under his wing a little bit and and, and showing the ropes a bit of a I don't know if payback or karma is the right way to say that, but just maybe a little bit of a reflection of how we saw Kaladin before, and now Kaladin's the one who needs the help. Right. That's a good one. I w wouldn't have made that connection. All right. I think we have successfully done these these chapters. Any closing thoughts? I'm uh, beginning to get some answers to my questions, but... I feel like the more we read, the more questions I'm I'm gaining. So my 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 question to answer ratio is still going, still leaning towards the side of questions. Yep. I gotta know. I want to know. Gotta read more. So unfortunately, we did find out that Noadon is not a knowledge spren. He had he is nah. a person, and he has written something. Any any revised predictions on who Noadon is? We we don't know that for sure. Maybe knowledge friend can write. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. It's not. It's not completely debunked yet. Not but yes, my my prediction is not looking very good <laughs> right now. That I, I think I will amend. Use lots of knowledge, Bren, You know. Yeah. There you go. He he's a scholar surrounded by lots of knowledge. Spren. Okay. Mm -hmm. Paul's Paul's prediction of important guy that we are following, uh, is is looking a little better. I would say. Spot on. Yeah. Far. Do you want to do you want to advise anything or just hold it? I'm sticking to my guns for now. Important person. Okay. Uh, that will conclude it for this episode. And we hope you guys join us for the next one. Thanks for joining me, Paul and uh, Elliot. Until next time. Peace.